Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology, and today I'm really excited to share with you another highlight from our speaker series. Uh, you may remember last week we visited a talk from Becca Tarnas, who was one of our speakers this July as well. She gave a talk on the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction that's coming up next year in their co-presence, which has already begun. Hope you guys really liked that talk today. I want to introduce you to another fantastic astrologer, one of my friends, a colleague, someone whose work I really admire. Her name is Emma Frey. And she gave a talk for us recently in our speaker series on astrological physiognomy, which, if you don't know, is the study of how we end up looking in our facial profiles like our sun, moon, and rising signs. Um, she gave a fantastic talk. She has um, an Instagram page called Patterns in the Stars that is absolutely amazing for tracking the similarities between sun, moon, and rising and famous and historical people's fa um, face facial profiles. It's really cool work. It's a traditional form of astrology that's not really practiced or well-known, and I love the way she does it. I think she is an innovator and and just a fantastic astrologer. I, I really like the way she's doing her work. So I think you guys will like it too. That is our agenda for today. We're going to show you her talk as I'm out of town on vacation. This is uh, content that I thought would be nice for while I'm out of town. I hope you will enjoy it. Before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments. Uh, if you head over to the website, nightlightastrology.com, you can check out all of my readings and courses. If you have any questions about them when you are there, feel free to shoot us an email, info at nightlightastrology.com. Now, I also want to take you over to our website so that you can learn more about the speaker series in case you'd ever like to participate in one of the future series. So if you go to nightlightastrology.com and you click on the events page, you'll go to the speaker series tab, you can scroll down and here's Emma right here. Seeing Stars, Exploring the History and Internet-Enabled Revival of Astrological Physiognomy. This is the study of how our faces look like our sun, moon, rising signs, or other elements of our birth charts. You can learn more about her on the page, as well as our other speakers and the dates and times of those talks. We have a four-seasonal uh, speaker series that we do each year, so 12 total speakers each year. They are totally free for the public. If you register, you get a live link. You can come and check out the live webinars. And um, if you... Uh, can't make it live, there's a replay link that's sent to you for like a week or something like that. So uh, that is a little bit more about the speaker series in case you have never joined it or seen it before. I hope that the, uh, this will promote the series in general, as well as promoting my dear friend, Emma. I want to show you Emma's work as well. So I'm also going to take you over to um, her page right now and her website, which is uh, called PatternsInTheStar.com, PatternsInTheStars.com. So actually, let me just add a little banner. We'll do that so that we can um, see her. PatternsInTheStars.com. Let me add a banner here. Let's do that. Here we go. You can see PatternsInTheStars.com. When you can scroll, scroll down, you can learn more about Emma and her work. She has, uh, you can... Um, work with her. I think she does readings here. She's got a blog that's really interesting. She has a podcast that's fascinating. Ashley and I were on her podcast. If you go to her uh, Instagram page, it is Patterns in the Stars, and you can learn more about the facial profiles of similar people. Like here's just a simple example. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure if it's going to ask me to log in or what it's going to do. Okay, it's not going to let me log in. But here you can see she's got two people, uh, Robin Williams and whoever this woman is. And look at how striking their facial similarities are. So her work is like that, where you can see these incredible similarities between facial profiles. 
And she shows you like how it works according to Sun, Moon and Rising. And that's what this talk is all about that you're going to hear today. Uh, you can also, she has a Patreon where you can sign up and get some cool stuff if you support her work. So I hope you will. I hope you will love and enjoy this talk. And in Emma, as much as I do, she is wonderful. Um, Ashley and I are both big fans of her work. She's featured both Ashley and my faces in her Sun, Moon, Rising profiles on Instagram, which is kind of cool too. So uh, yeah, without further ado, here is Emma. And I hope you guys love this talk. Thank you so much to everyone for being here. I am thrilled beyond belief to be talking about my astrological passion today, astrological physiognomy. Um, in my mouthful of a title, it gives a brief description of what we're gonna be talking about, including the history of the study, as well as how it's gaining somewhat of a resurgence due to the internet. Um, but before we get into the talk, there's someone uh, that wants to say something. So um, it looks like it's Marcus Tullius Cicero uh, who wants to quote from his scathing critique of astrology, his book on divination. So I'll let him say what he wants to say and then we'll move on. Uh, here's a quote that he wants to share. Surely no one fails to see that the appearance and habits and generally the carriage and gestures of children are derived from their parents. This would not be the case if the characteristics of children were determined not by the natural power of heredity, but by the phases of the moon and by the condition of the sky. So it looks like uh, Cicero is dropping the mic there, um, saying that because we look like our parents, astrology isn't real. Um, compelling, certainly compelling, um, but I am going to uh, pick up the mic and uh, talk about what I do. I have been working on a project for about a couple of years at this point called Patterns in the Stars that Michelle introduced. Um, and this is a sample of that project. This is one of my most common types of posts in which I share side-by-side -side photos of stars who share the same big three. So the same sun sign, moon sign, and rising sign. And they often look very, very similar. And so I call these posts my big three twin posts because um, they're not twins by birth, but they do look alike and they share that same big three combination. So they say that a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, normally I let my pictures speak for themselves in my project on Instagram. And I don't impose too many of my own thoughts about the study, about what we're looking at. I want them to speak for themselves, to have their own words, but I'm so excited today to have the opportunity to share those a thousand words, more or less, um, to help it grow, to help flesh out what is my passion. Um, and so that's what we're gonna do today. So first off, before we get into astrology, I wanna define physiognomy, which is pronounced differently in different spheres. Physiognomy is common. So is physiognomy. I prefer the latter personally, so that's what I'm going to use, but either I believe is perfectly accurate. So physiognomy, uh, you may or may not be familiar with it. Uh, it's the practice of assessing a person's character or personality from their outer appearance, particularly the face. Um, 
And so I have here an image from The Wizard of Oz where Glinda the Good Witch is saying, oh, me bad witches are ugly. And I included that as opposed to other things um, because physiognomy can be used for good or bad. Um, we are looking at something that is judging a book by its cover. Uh, and we historically haven't always believed that that's a worthwhile measure, but um, it is a science. It's a, some might call it a pseudoscience, but it has been around since the dawn of time. There are very early records of its existence, people attempting to figure out what the link is between the outer and the inner, the without and the within, which is of course hugely important for the astrological community. So then what is astrological physiognomy? It's very similar, but it's looking at one's outer appearance, particularly the face, uh, to see how it might correlate to their inner planetary influences. So what we have here is perhaps the most stereotypical example of astrological physiognomy, which is we have Mars, the planet Mars over on the left, and then we have the kind of stereotypical embodiment of Mars uh, in this warrior figure um, who is red like the planet, who is, you know, strong, warlike. Um, so this is the most simple explanation. We're going to get more detailed and nuanced, but that is the very basics of astrological physiognomy. And for the greater part of its history, physiognomy was seen as an integral part of astrology, offering physical evidence and vindication of the theory of planetary influences. This is a quote from someone I'm going to be referencing a lot in today's presentation, um, hugely uh, influential to me, uh, Bernard Eccles, who wrote such a good paper called Astrological Physiognomy from Ptolemy to the Present Day wrote it in 2003 uh, for Culture and Cosmos, William Zenon. And uh, just if you're looking for an in-depth look at the trajectory of astrological physiognomy, its, it's roots, its uh, evolutions, highly recommend that, uh, could not recommend it more. And this here, we have just an image of someone resembling presumably Leo planetary influences with the lion, the face, we'll get into way more of that. So, okay, so Eccles said, physical evidence and vindication for astrology was the historical use of astrological physiognomy. Well, that sounds pretty good, um, particularly in an you know, age when astrology is, is often ridiculed and um, just not taken seriously. The idea of having some sort of physical evidence and vindication sounds really good. Um, so why do so many of us not know the term astrological physiognomy? Why do we often only know of it based on peripheral information in the astrological texts that we study? Um, you know, maybe an online article we'll read will say that Mars people have sharp features. Um, it is, it's a, it's a, it's something that is not unknown to students of astrology but it's not a robust part of people's practices oftentimes today as it once was. So where did it go? What changed? What happened over the years to get us to where we are now? So that's what we're gonna explore in this presentation. 
first, we're going to take a look at the history of the practice. And then after that, we'll take a look at what's happening with it currently, including my own work. We'll take a more in-depth look at, and then we will close out with speculations on the future of the study, um, what it could do, how it can evolve. Um, so that's the gist. And without further ado, let's get into it. So what was the first mention of astrological physiognomy that we're aware of? And to my knowledge, it was actually in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are about 2,000 years old, dating from the 3rd century BCE to the 1st century CE. Uh, so the scrolls are, if you're not familiar, they're an ancient Jewish religious manuscripts that were discovered in the mid-20th century, so pretty recently, at the Qumran Caves in what was then Mandatory Palestine. Um, so... It's very interesting to have a mention of astrological physiognomy in these, which, uh, you know, historians take very seriously and are still pouring over to this day and learning so much from. And what was actually in the Dead Sea Scrolls from a physiognomic perspective was they call them, they call them today the Qumran horoscopes and the document is known as 4Q186. So you might see that if you're looking for this online. Uh, so this is not a horoscope in the Greek sense, the way we know of horoscopes, but it actually uses the physiognomic features of a person to tell prophecy. So what it might look like is it might say a man of six parts, presumably the houses, from the house of light and three parts from the pit of darkness is described physiognomically as long and lean and is expected horoscopically, some more destiny personality-wise, to be meek. So there's this tight connection between one's outer appearance in this horoscope and their destinies in terms of their personality, what they're destined to do, experience, etc. It was very much closely tied from what I understand. Um, I have yet to read this book that I have here on the slide called Reading the Human Body, Physiognomics and Astrology in the Dead Sea Scrolls and Hellenistic Early Roman Period Judaism. But I looked into it a little bit and it seems to go into this quite a bit. And so if you are chomping at the bit to learn more about these deep, deep roots, I think I recommend starting there. Okay, so that was a long time ago. What came after that? So. Someone else I'm going to be quoting a bit, astrologer Russ von Olhausen writes, so since that appearance, there have been numerous attempts to establish a set of rules and correspondence for astrological judgment. He's speaking of astrological physiognomy and how over the years, astrologers have really attempted to nail down astrological physiognomic descriptions, trying to figure out what does someone born under Mars look like repeatedly? What does someone uh, with, you know, prominent sun placements look like? These have been questions that astrologers have tried and tried and tried throughout the years to find the definitive descriptions. So we'll start with the ancient astrologers and what they had to say. And uh, it's not too much. So there was, there's a small but very important section in Ptolemy's text of Biblios that we're going to look at that has to do with astrological physiognomy and some additional material in Dorotheus but otherwise, it seems that the classical world wasn't all that interested in astrological physiognomy. Uh, much more attention was given to the idea of planets providing destiny, 
um, as we know, you know, um, and this could have been for a number of different reasons, you know, appearance might not have played that important of a role in people's day-to-day -day lives when status was, was more important for relationships, for um, just everyday life. It was more about how you're going to continue to grow yourself and your status and what's going to come in the next year. Divination was more important. Um, and so the appearance probably just took a back seat. And they also didn't have mass media, photography, um, even flat surface mirrors. So for all those reasons, it, it makes sense that it wasn't a huge part of their interest, and at least based on the recorded material that we have to this day. Uh, so that said, there, there, were, there were definitely some descriptions. And so I have one here from Ptolemy uh, discussing Saturn physiognomics. So Saturn, Ptolemy says, if he is in the Orient, makes his subjects in appearance dark-skinned, robust, black-haired, curly-haired, hairy-chested, with eyes of moderate size, of middling stature, and in temperament having an excess of the moist and cold, um, you know, humors-wise. And so it's quite descriptive. I look back on just all of these descriptions of, um, of planetary influences, and they, they are often super descriptive um, and definitive sounding. It's like Saturn is this, and therefore his subjects or the, those born under him look like this. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this actual description later on, um, but it's important to note here that when, you know, he's talking about Saturn being very hairy, that's not a bad thing. Back in the day, it was a sign of health and even fitness if, you know, hair, hairy chested. Um, so that's important for Saturn, Ptolemy's description. We're going to come back to that, so keep that in mind. And then, so after that, though, throughout the years, um, these scant astrological physiognomic texts were massive inspirations for future astrologers, such as uh, noted horary astrologer William Lilly, which we see here. Um, perhaps I, I have the idea that he's writing down descriptions of astrological physiognomy that are very inspired, in particular, by, by Ptolemy. There is just this sort of game of telephone throughout the years where um, the ancient astrologers would say something that would be brought back to light by in the Renaissance say, and it would be very similar. You can trace the roots pretty directly oftentimes. Um, so it was just the same descriptions. And we're going to talk about what they actually looked like, um, aside from the, the Ptolemy description. So I'm going to go back to when I first introduced astrological physiognomy. So to talk about the first category that we see a lot of in descriptions. So here we have the idea that the physique represents the astrological qualities of the planets. This is the most simple version, most simple category that we're going to look at. So basically, for instance, the planet Mars being red means that people born under Mars have flushed complexions and or red hair. This is interesting because it goes into this idea of direct participation with the planet, looking up at the stars, seeing that Mars is red, and then having that, that direct visual similarity between Mars's subjects and the planet, which is interesting. And we still use that to this day. Uh, but also in this category would be 
the basic mythological associations and extensions of that planetary identity. So Mars being, you know, the god of war means that people born under Mars would most likely be athletic in appearance because they're soldiers, they're athletic with much more muscle than soft tissue. These are all very intuitive. And we can see that, you know, for the other planetary influences, basically in this category, like think of Venus, the planet and what you know about Venus, and then apply that to people. And that's probably what they would have talked about. So I call this the intuitive category. Category two is, in my opinion, one step removed from the intuitive nature of category one, but it's similar. So here we would see descriptions talking about how the physique is made to resemble and ratify astrological theory. So in this category, think of it being as, you know, the light of the sun would shine from the eyes of Mars people in their piercing gazes because Aries is the sign in which the sun is said to be exalted. So it almost feels like it's like, it's, it's going one step beyond. It's reaching a little bit into more theory exaltation, um, which is interesting. I didn't come across a ton of this, but it's just very interesting to think that there were some really in-depth descriptions being made based off of astrological theory. Um, also in this category would be materials supporting the theory of the humors. So going back to the idea that Mars is hot and dry, so the bodies of Mars people would also be hot and dry, sinewy and dark as roast meat is when all the fat and soft tissue has been burned off of it. I didn't come up with this, but um, there's also association with burned offerings in which parts of sacrificial animals are offered. So it gets weird, um, but you know, it, it like you can track it back to that Mars being hot and dry. So uh, that is category two. And then finally we have category three, which is of most interest to me and my work, which is material that was just simply from observation, observed patterns in people that correlate to patterns in their natal data. Uh, so astrologers might have recorded direct observations like heavy brows as seen here being associated with Aries, but it is very hard to find any material in this category uh, that is totally free from astrological associations. So the eyebrows, uh, you know, in descriptions might be connected to the idea of melothesia, with which we're all pretty familiar, where each sign of the zodiac is associated with a part of the body. Aries, Mars' sign is given to the head, and particularly the forehead. This idea has even further associations with Aries the ram. So while there may have been some directly observed patterns documented, they were often connected in the recorded material to Aries mythology and what we know of the planet and its significations. And there's, this is interesting because we're going to talk about direct observation quite a bit down the line. So um, bear in mind that this was tricky to find in ancient material. And so um, Eccles and I believe that there are a couple of potential problems with this non-observational approach. The first is what I actually already identified, which is this game of telephone that's happening throughout history as the same physiognomic descriptions are passed down throughout history without question. So this is interesting, this is compelling. Eccles argues that it's possible that Ptolemy's original description of Saturn embodied as this broad-chested son of the soil 
somewhere along the line got turned into a new lame and ragged Saturn archetype that could have been used to describe and denigrate the Jewish people. So this game of telephone may, Eccles says not definitively, but it may have led to the widespread regurgitation of anti-Semitic propaganda imagery that has continued to this day. So that is quite the claim. Um, I highly recommend you go check out what Eccles has to say about it. It is compelling and there's a lot, there's not necessarily bad actors that inserted themselves into this game of telephone to achieve this goal, but rather it's it's unconscious biases coming to the surface in either translations of ancient astrologers' works or someone's, you know, unconscious biases coming through in their own descriptions that are based off of the ancient descriptions. Um, and that it gets sort of the, the line of telephone gets infected, perhaps. It's very easy to, if it goes very much unquestioned straight on throughout history. So to me, that is one danger of not adding in any sort of direct observation into the mix. And then the other problem is the idea of having incomplete research hypotheses, not incorrect necessarily, but incomplete. And so interestingly, there actually have been some real research attempts for astrological physiognomy that took place around the 1970s, but all were largely unsuccessful. And, you know, they were led by a known astrology skeptic. So that's one reason why they probably didn't, didn't do so well. But as Eccles points out, astrologers have just been content with repeating and giving credence to the usual, you know, age-old formulas of red hair for Mars, et cetera, without feeling the need at all to validate these descriptions with direct observation. So basically the idea is just that while we don't necessarily, we can't guarantee a positive research result, we can do our best to um, make sure that we're going into the research with as concrete descriptions as we can come up with. So um, if we are to continue doing research in this arena in the future, adding in a little, a little bit of direct observational patterns might be able to help the research go further. So with that, the discussion of observation, has anything changed in recent years? Yes, um, of course. So we have had the rise of the worldwide, World Wide Web seen here alongside the camera. The camera's been around for a while, but this combination of the two leads to things like databases of images. Um, you know, even just Google images gives you a wealth of visual information, the likes of which, you know, people owning cameras and photography didn't have in the uh, in the 1900s. So um, this is, I included the HAL 9000 marker here because to me, this is a monolithic change. Um, so, and they, these two things coming together, the internet and imagery greatly influenced my own work in this space, uh, which I'll show here. So um, I'm guessing this, uh, some of you might be familiar with this page. Um, so this is what it looks like. This is my Instagram account. Um, and I chose Instagram for my project because I, this, it is imagery based and, you know, Instagram is all about sharing photos. And so it just was the right fit. Eventually I'm going to expand more into TikTok, but, um, you know, that's, that that's to come, but this is what it is right now. Um, 
you can see here my latest big three posts that I'm going to talk about more, which is featuring uh, Robin Williams and Helen Keller. They shared the same big three, which is interesting. Um, and I created this account after stumbling upon astrological physiognomy, um, not as a practice, but directly. I started noticing that people who had Aquarius sun in their natal chart looked alike. They had the same eyes. And so then I started looking at more and more and more. And it was just so um, compelling to me that I had to start making this account. Um, and so here are uh, three examples of my big three pairings. I already showed it, so I won't been too long, you can also go straight to my Instagram after this and, and check it out for yourself. But um, the reason I like to let it speak for itself is because there's no way that I could convince someone that, you know, these people look alike. That has to be done on the observer's part. Um, what I just do is I present the information and I leave it up for the interpretation of the viewer. Um, but these are some of my personal favorites. So I wanted to highlight them here. I also did one for Adam a while ago for his son and rising twin, because I don't think I could find his actual big three twin, but they do look alike. Um, and that's a part of my work too, is that I'm not just looking at um, the sun, moon and rising, I'm looking at other things um, as well. But the big three twin is my favorite for reasons I'll get into. So how I do this is, I go to astrocharts.com, shout out to astrocharts, love it. Uh, you can go to a page where you can search by sun, moon, and rising, and then it spits out whatever stars have that specific combination. And so you can see here that for Aries sun, Taurus moon, Aquarius rising, it gives me William Shatner and Caroline Rea from the uh, 90s Sabrina show. And they look like twins to me. Um, and to a lot, a lot of other people, I believe. And what's so crazy about that is that they are the only two people that the website spit out for that particular big three combination. So that is just so crazy to me that we're not, you know, pulling from a massive amount of stars and finding which ones look alike. It's just comparing the ones that it spits out, the small, in this case, two number of people that it that it gave. But aside from that, I also do other posts. I do um, my five point posts where I include five stars who have some sort of um, either one or two placement similarities. So for in this case, I'm looking at moon and Capricorn, and then I would look at what it spits out, which as you can see here is almost 2000 people. Um, and then I try to find similarities between those people. I spend a lot of time just looking at all of them and trying to see like, okay, what are the similarities? And then I'll put together one of my five point posts. Um, this is my most recent five point post. And these all, these stars all have Capricorn moon. And I could see similarities between like the shapes of their nose and mouth and their eyes, which look to me a little bit more stoic. And um, so I like these posts a lot and my audience seems to like them a lot too, I think for obvious reasons, you know, um, but they are not nearly as, uh, I'm not nearly as passionate about them as I am the big three posts because 
these can be torn to shreds because there are, you know, 2000 people with Capricorn moon. And so trying to nail down, you know, five, like trying to figure out exactly what the commonality is between that, those 2000 people is very difficult. So if an astrology skeptic were to look at this and be like, you know, there's a lot of holes with this, I would say yes, but it is still fun and I think worthwhile to play around with it and to just hunt for those similarities that that might show up for us um, rather than, you know, having a nail in our hand trying to pin it down. It's just asking, being like, hey, are there any similarities here that we can look at? Are they repeatable? Um, so that's why I do these. So um, three, I wanted to highlight three questions that you might have about my work. The first is why focus on sun, moon, and rising? Uh, because I think we're at a really interesting point in history in which we have very limited birth time data that is public, even for stars. So what this means is that we can only see around one to five stars, usually like two to four is more common with the same big three combination. So if astrology's popularity continues to grow, so too might that number that we get spit out from the website and then the magic is lost. Um, so going back to the William Shatner, Caroline Rea example for big three, again, those were the only two stars that the website spit out. Um, so that makes the fact that they look alike so interesting. I think that what I have here pictured is a face in the clouds. And so I kind of think of it like for so long, we haven't had any publicly recorded birth time data. So the clouds just look like clouds. And then for this brief moment in time, we see a face in the clouds um, and we have to snap a picture of it. We have to see it before it goes away when we have a ton of birth time data that's public, if we ever get there, you know, privacy and everything. I think we will. I think astrology will continue to become more popular personally. Um, so then the face would start to dissolve back into the clouds again. So we, I feel passionate about my big three posts because of this unique, you know, liminal space, I think that um, is so interesting to me. And then so uh, why not focus more on the rising in the first house, which are, you know, historically connected to one's appearance. Um, mostly because of what I just said about the special time in history. I don't dispute the fact that the rising and, and planets in the first house are huge influences on a, our appearance, especially, you know, that which comes to the forefront when we first meet people. The things that people notice about our appearance, I think, do really connect to the rising and planets in the first house. But again, I'm just passionate about that special time in history. So. Um, and then my third question is, have you done a post for my big three combo or can you? And I'm including this because I just get it a lot. Um, and so I might have already done it. I've done a lot of posts so far, um, but if I haven't done it, you can definitely, I can definitely do one for your big three combo. Um, you, if you're on Instagram and you wanna see um, if I've done yours, search in this hashtag format, um, Aries Sun, Taurus Moon, Gemini Rising. And if it pops up, um, it'll pop up. If I've done it, it'll pop up. If I haven't done it, it won't pop up. And in that case, you can submit a re request for yours via the link in my Instagram bio. Um, and I included this here um, partly because I get the question a lot not on my Instagram, but also because I just wanted to show that there is this interest for people to see themselves in a star, in a couple of stars. Um, 
and I, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but I think that there is something personal about astrological physiognomy. Um, it can get very impersonal, you know, what we were talking about earlier, Mars being the roast, roast meat or whatever, but um, it can also be very personal when we're looking at close-ups of faces and emotions and expressions and facial features, which we identify with. Although we are, you know, spirits within matter, we have a very close personal tie with our appearance, undoubtedly. So highlighting this for that reason, just to show how personal I think a lot of people feel about astrological physiognomy. So why did I make my Instagram account? Why does it exist? Uh, first off, I wanted to just share the information that I'm, I found. I'm a Gemini sun uh, conjunct the midheaven. Uh, so I just, I can't keep this knowledge to myself. I feel like I really, if I find out something that I feel like is worth sharing, I want to share it. And this is definitely that. Um, plus, um, I feel like this is sort of my scarab beetle story. This is my scarab beetle tapping at the window that I want to show. I want to take from the window and show. Um, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, um, depth psychologist Carl Jung uh, was working with a patient. Uh, a lot of you probably know this, so I'll keep this story. So I'll keep this story short. But uh, he was working with a patient with whom he couldn't make any progress due to her hyper rational, uh, materialist worldview. The way she thought about the world was very much, you know, there is no mystery. Dreams mean probably nothing, et cetera, et cetera. And so Jung was just like, I can't make any progress with this woman. But one day she told him a dream that she had just had. I'm sure that he, he really poked and prodded her, like, I want to know your dreams. And she shared, I had a dream about a scarab beetle necklace. And right after she told that to him, there was a tapping at the window. Uh, he went over to the window and pulled out this beetle that had been tapping on the window and it was jewel toned. It was not native to their area whatsoever. And he showed it to her and he says, there is your scarab beetle. And it shocked her. What Jung said was that it broke her out of her, of the ice of intellectual resistance. Um, and that is my goal for the work that I do, other than just wanting to share information for the sake of sharing it. I would also want to provide um, maybe a chisel for, for that ice of intellectual resistance for people to say, hey, you know, this is odd. This is synchronistic. This is not supported by, you know, as Cicero said, hereditary, um, heredity rather, um, and so that's weird, isn't it? Will you allow yourself to open to the mystery a little bit? You know, baby steps, of course, but I hope that maybe this is a baby step. So that's one reason that I do it. Um, but also going back to the personal uh, question that I was talking about, I hope that this work can also promote self-acceptance. Uh, so the idea is, is here that we can clearly see with our own eyes that we are made up of divine forces that leave their marks physically on us. And so maybe this knowledge can hopefully lead to a greater appreciation for our facial features, for our gazes, for our, um, just the way we show up in the world. Um, everything, you know, can tie back to our birth charts. And that's not to say that free will does not exist. I 
sort of have a middle of the road belief on free will, but the idea is that maybe, you know, it's not your fault. I think of Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. We, we don't start out as entirely blank slates. We start, our, we start out with, you know, being predisposed perhaps to certain expressions, to certain ways of seeing the world, um, which show up in our faces. Um, so it did, I'm including my big three twin, the incredible Josephine Baker here, because seeing that she and I shared the same big three was like, wow, that's crazy. We do look alike. And, you know, we also share similar characteristics. Some, I mean, you know, she's way cooler than I am, of course, and more influential and um, all of that. But we do share certain things. And it did leave me, lead me to a greater self-acceptance. I've always had issues with my appearance my whole life and taking pictures in general. And so this has just made me um, a little bit more gentle with myself on that front. And I hope that it might be able to do the same for others. And then the last one I have here is um, a little bit uh, less concrete, but it's, it's the idea of stitching our spiritual nature back to our mundane nature. So oftentimes, at least for me and, and people that I talk to, astrology, even like our closely held birth charts can feel so far away from us. It can feel alien. It can feel not like us as opposed to our appearance, which we see every day. And that does feel like us, even though it might not be, it, it is much more closely tied to home and to how we know ourselves. And so I think that the practice of astrological physiognomy done in a delicate, um, magical way can help to bridge the space between us and the stars and help us, you know, in the mirror, see our spiritual nature, um, feel more connected to one another, to the stars, to time, to, to the past and the future. Um, that's a lot, that's lofty, but I think that bringing, bringing this, the, the heavens down into the body, um, you know, is it can be a really worthwhile practice for grounding one's astrology practice. Um, and I have here Wendy from Disney's Peter Pan sewing Peter's um, shadow onto his foot, which is sort of how I see this. It's it's bringing these two things together um, in an attempt to um, you know just just create more wholeness, which is the goal. Going back to Jung of individuation and maybe this can help us on that journey toward greater wholeness. Uh, so enough about me. Let's talk about some more modern astrologers in this niche using photography to explore astrological physiognomy. So the first off is uh, the incredible, uh, sorry about that, uh, William Shreve, who um, you can go check out his work at astrovisions.com where he has uh, the subhead seeing is believing, which is something that I write a lot for my own work. And I think about a lot, um, especially, you know, when we're talking about astrology, which is so hard to believe having that sight is, is amazing. So uh, Shreve is an illustrator and astrologer who in 1996 started a column in Dell Horoscope called Celebrity Snapshots, where he featured um, a photo collage of a celebrity with certain astrological features. So um, here, you know, we see um, 
was it Gina Davis? Um, and so since then, he has published two books that pull from this monthly article. I have both of them. They're sitting over there. Um, they're great. They're basically, you know, compilations of his work that he did for over two decades. Um, and this is a picture from one of his books. And um, he has said that he wants this work to be able to help people identify different planetary placements and people's appearances, which I just think is super interesting. And you know, being able to see the patterns in his books and his columns, it, it, it is just fascinating. Um, and I just want more people to, to buy the books and to see for themselves. Then we have uh, Russ von Olhausen, who I've already quoted in this presentation, but he has a project on his website called Zodiac Faces. Um, you can see here, he has done a presentation uh, talking about the doppelganger effect, which you know, going back to my big three twins, the doppelganger is our our twin from another mother. It's someone that we don't know by blood, but someone that appears to us um, and they look a lot like us. And that can be very scary, um, but also quite mystical. Um, so I highly recommend you check out Zodiac Faces. Uh, the website just has a lot of interesting uh, information, some photos. We can see on the right here that we have the different fire signs represented. Um, and how they look often similar. Um, just you can see that in the celebrity photos. Again, this is tricky and very, going back to my five point post, it can be just very tricky to, to cherry pick and you know show, hey, all of these people look alike for Sagittarius, but then what about all the other people over there? So it's a game of, of playing around and pattern finding that um, might be never ending, but nonetheless, very compelling and interesting. Um, what about astro talk? What about TikTok? Is there a is is uh, astrological physiognomy at all on TikTok? I use TikTok both literally and as a stand-in for the next generation um, because Instagram is is more for I think millennials. My my generation TikTok is more for Gen Z, as we all know. Um, so that's why I'm asking about it here. Is this a thing that's popular with people, with young astrologers. Um, yes, this is a very popular TikTok uh, account. The creator's name is Claire Nakti. And she also has a YouTube channel that is also very popular. I included on, on the lower right-hand side there, I have a screenshot of her one of her videos. Um, she is a sidereal astrologer who often incorporates the nakshatras, which are known as the lunar mansions of the zodiac wheel. And uh, there's there are 27, I believe there's 27 nakshatras. Um, and this person, Claire Nakti, looks at how those show up, those nakshatras show up in, in different people, often looking at how it shows up as different types of beauty as seen in this video, which has 92,000 likes. So it's we're, there is a definite presence for astrological physiognomy, um, but this video um, is looking at the Swati nakshatra, um, which the nakshatras correspond to different degrees of the sidereal zodiac. Um, and so we have different celebrities here born under that, who all have a certain like, you know, bug-eyed appearance, like gorgeous, obviously, um, but they have a unique type of beauty. 
And I am a tropical astrologer. That's what I know and practice. Um, but I am just very interested in her work in particular, her YouTube channel and TikTok. So there's a part of me that really wants to get into more nakshatra research. Um, but I highly recommend you check out her stuff if you're interested in astrological physiognomy at all, even if you don't practice sidereal astrology. Uh, but then the more common, you know, on like the tropical side of things, just in general, the more common videos that I've seen, I've seen a ton of these on TikTok where you have someone saying, if astrology isn't real, then riddle me this. And um, they'll say, then why do all Sagittarius risings have an egg-shaped head? And then they'll show like four or five celebrities that have like, an egg-shaped head that, um, I, I feel bad because like these celebrities are so beautiful, but there's like this, I don't know, egg-shaped head, but we have like Oprah Winfrey here. They also showed Anne Hathaway and they're all, they all do have Sagittarius risings and they have, you know, a similar face feature. Um, this TikTok, much like the other one is doing very well. It has 87,000 likes. It's uh, from username Nat Loves Cats 420 So if you want to check it out, I recommend that. But you can also just look in, like search on TikTok. Uh, if astrology isn't real, then, you know, faces or something like that. And you'll just see a bunch of these pop up. Um, but the question for me is, I've said this quite a few times in this presentation, how much can we actually pin down a planet's form how much can we actually say that X physical manifestation is a product of that person being born with X planetary placement? It's hard because we have a lot of birthdays available for people. So we have just so much data that I think trying to definitively say that this thing is this is really hard. We have to remember, I think, I'm, I'm passionate about the fact that astrology traditionally is a hermetic practice and Hermes is notoriously slippery, tricky, and doesn't probably want to be pinned down. Down, uh, you know, that mutable nature is constantly shifting and is so resistant to any form of this is this. And so I think that, you know, listening to Hermes being like, how much do you want to be known here? is important and it's led the way for my work personally. Um, so this is what Von Olhausen says about this, which is basically how I feel. In essence, we can only guess at, let's say, what a perfected Leo would look like in both, both genders, all genders, and through each race and ethnicity, or what the quintessential embodiment of Jupiter would look like in human form. And I agree with this. I have an image here of, someone trying to maybe, you know, hold a moonbeam in their hand, which is of course impossible because they move and it's ungraspable. And that's sort of how I feel about the archetypes. And I think that people agree with this on a um, non-physical physical level. When we're talking about the archetypes, they are hard to pin down. The second that you try to say what an archetype is, it moves, it changes. And I think the same is true for how they show up in people's appearances. I think it's like, you know, the staircases in Harry Potter is what I always think of. Always moving, always moving. That's not to say totally ungraspable, but it, it's, it's delicate, I think. But that has not stopped people from trying to find the definitive archetypes. 
Um, I am so interested in this. So famous poet, William Blake, who you all probably know, if not by name, by his poems, uh, Songs of Innocence, uh, is the collection of uh, poems, I think, in The, the Tiger. Um, you probably read it in English like I did. Um, so, <clears throat> pardon. Blake was a close friend of watercolor painter and astrologer John Varley, and the two of them uh, in the early 1800s, I believe, collaborated on the book Visionary Heads uh, and a treatise on zodiacal physiognomy. And Visionary Heads, at least, I think both to a certain extent, was written by Varley, which is odd because he's the painter, but he wrote it because he was interested in astrology. And then Blake, the poet did the illustrations. So it's it's sort of reverse. Um, you know, we didn't always know Blake to be an illustrator, but he loved it and was it drew a lot. So the image we have here is clearly not of a person, um, more of a you know hybrid between a person and a flea. So this image is called Ghost of a Flea. And I guess it's very famous. I didn't know of it, but it was an image that came to Blake when he and Varley were having some late night astrology conversations, which are the best, where you're just talking about the archetypes and trying to be like, you know, playing around with them, being like, you know, I think, you know, Gemini reminds me of a flea because they're always sucking and they're always, you know, wanting to suck the blood out of things. And I can imagine that as they were doing that, this image came to Blake that he just, he had to draw and he had to get it out. Um, and so here's another form of it. It's this ghost of a flea person. And uh, so Varley wrote about this. He said, okay, with respect to the vision of the ghost of the flea seen by Blake, it agrees in countenance with one class of people under the sign of Gemini, which sign is the significator of the flea. I didn't know that, but maybe it's, it's something that they discussed. Maybe it was more popular at the time whose brown color is appropriate to the color of the eyes in some full-tone Gemini persons. And the neatness, elasticity, and tenseness of the flea are significant of the elegant dancing and fencing sign Gemini. So I think we're more familiar with the elegant dancing and fencing, you know, nature. Um, the elasticity though, the, the, the stretching, the being able to move around. Um, I think that these ideas about Gemini perhaps were swimming in Blake's head and came out came this image of this Gemini flea-like figure, which is not super flattering. I mean, as a Gemini son, however, um, I do resonate with the idea of being, of, of wanting to, I think I said to my partner the other day, I said, I want to suck the marrow out of life. He was like, okay. Um, but it's just wanting to get more information, to know things, to know what the heck is going on here um, that I think is reflected well in the fleet. And what's compelling to me about this is that I have I would have never put that together because I think we're resistant, you know, to maybe less flattering um, depictions of ourselves, but it's, it's so cool to have it and to add that to my understanding of the sign of Gemini and myself. Um, so, uh, diving a little deeper into it, um, Morton D. Paley wrote of Varley's account of Blake. Um, he said this, and then I'll talk about it. So he said, 
What is clear from Varley's account is that the images that Blake drew uh, as visionary heads in the book, visionary heads, were perceived rather than invented. So this phenomenon has rightly been characterized an example of eidetic imagery. And what defines an eidetic image is that it is actually seen, going back to this idea of seeing and direct observation, rather than remembered or made up. And as E.R. Jensch, who pioneered this study of this subject, wrote, when the influence of the imagination is at its maximum, they are ideas that, like after images, are projected outward and literally seen. So when Blake would tell Varley, for example, I can't go on, it is gone, I must wait till it returns, he was not imposing on his credulous friend, as Gilchrist believed, but reporting rather what he actually saw. So this is fascinating to me because, again, going back to the idea of the image not being related to anything in real life, but rather being born out of conversations that uh, Blake and Burley might have had, um, it, it is still perhaps they're they're positing an example of seeing, not directly seeing based on the world around them, but it's also not necessarily coming from the planetary archetypes or direct observation either. It's coming from somewhere else. And of course, we talk about the imaginal realm and, and what that might, how we connect, we could connect with it. Um, I don't know necessarily what to make of this, but since it was talking about seeing versus thinking, I wanted to include it. Just some food for thought. If anyone wants to look deeper into it, I know I'm going to. All right. So this is just another image. Uh, I wanted to include it for the last time because you can see that the Gemini person on the right, which is a more flattering look at Gemini that Blake drew, more closely resembles that, that um, you know, anthropomorphized flea um, that we see on the right versus the Cancer underneath who doesn't as closely look like that to me. The sloping nose, um, that gaze pointing forward, they do look alike. Not based in direct observation, direct observation as we know it, but um, still super interesting. So highly recommend looking into uh, their collaborations, Harley and Blake's, if, you, if you're interested in this. Okay, so enough about that, enough about guesswork and the imaginal realm and eidetic imagery, and what about actual attempts at research at this thing, an astrological physiognomy? So something that I am hugely interested in is astrofaces.com, which you may or may not be familiar with, but uh, I highly recommend you go check it out. It's a research study and like online database that seeks to verify astrology for modern science. So that's pretty concrete, ambitious, with photographs of subjects grouped by the zodiac signs of their sun, moon, and ascendant. So uh, the study was the wish of a beginning astrology student from 1973 that was impractical to prepare in book form. Um, and as, according to the website, there are currently over 5,300 photos. So as opposed to the work that I do, these photos are of non-stars. They're everyday people who submit their own photos. Uh, I was digging around on the website and could not figure out how to submit my own photos. So I'm not sure if that is still active, um, but I would recommend you go check it out for yourself and see see for yourself. Um, 
so the uh, the website talks about the fact that they actually attempted some research. And so the abstract for which is as follows, and I want to include the whole thing. I know it's a lot, but I think it is so interesting. So what they wanted to do was uh, group photographs of people by the three most prominent factors in the astrological chart, arguably, the sun, moon, and ascendant. And of course, you know, that's not necessarily true for, for everyone based on nativity ruler, but um, Anyways, it asks whether people who share these factors resemble each other significantly. If this is so, then it supports the claim of astrology that time itself has a shape and that everything that is created at a moment in time has certain inborn characteristics derived from the natural symbolism of that time. It also gives modern science a measure of astrology. Uh, this project also suggests that the astrological model is actually the 12-dimensional cosmological model, the theory of everything, that describes the principles by which everything in the universe appears and functions. So quite lofty, but so compelling. I am particularly interested in the line, uh, it also gives modern science a measure of astrology because there have been, I think as we all know, attempts at um, bringing astrology into the lab and trying to see if there are actual recorded patterns of people with similar natal placements. I mean, the vast majority of which perform very poorly. Uh, and so I think what's interesting, if if people are interested in bringing astrology into the lab, which is up for debate, and we'll talk about it, but astrological physiognomy offers something that can actually be measurable. If we wanted to measure, you know, a certain slope of the eyebrows, going back to Aries features, positive Aries features, that's something that we can measure um, a lot more definitively than we can measure personality traits, um, life changes based on transits. That's to me a bit more slippery and harder to bring into the lab. This is something based on the five senses, sight. We can truly measure it if we want to. So uh, preliminary findings from their work was uh, initial testing with facial recognition software, which we'll also talk about more, yielded some intriguing results. While the lookalikes application did find several pretty good similarities where we expected them, others missed the mark, which is kind of what you might expect. It's, it's tricky, um, but you know sometimes there might be some similarities if you're going into it with um, a non-super skeptical perspective. Um, but there were, there was a, there's a lot of information on the website talking about the future, and I don't know if that's in progress or if it was something that they outlined a while ago and it hasn't been uh, brought to fruition yet, but they wrote a bit, at least on the website, that the study needs to be formalized and standardized with computer analysis of the photos using facial recognition software. At that point, it will be a suitable model for duplicate studies, which would be expected to further verify our findings and develop new techniques. Toward this goal, the Astrophasis study seeks affiliations with organizations such as universities, hospitals or police departments that have access to many subjects, photos and birth data. So fascinating, right? So not only do we have to grapple with the question of whether or not to bring astrology into the research lab, but also questions of privacy, questions of databases and um, faces, which are, which yes, again, are personal and and what we can give up for these studies, what we want to give up. It almost sounds dystopian, sort of minority report, like having, you know, 
this overarching look at people's faces. Um, but wow, is that interesting and who knows where it could go. Um, so if we're looking at the idea of viable research attempts, Russ von Olhausen was talking about, he, he said, I personally think it will take biometric facial recognition software currently in common use linked to individual natal data before we can begin to properly assess all factors in this equation, talking about astrological physiognomy. When we do this, we will be ultimately be able to provide a link between the planets and people. So that facial recognition software is, it keeps coming up. It kept coming up in my research for this. And it is, as we all know, it's gaining traction. Um, I was actually looking at, you know, research just for physiognomy in general, not astrological physiognomy. And it was talking about how there have been research attempts to use facial recognition software to find whether people are conservative or liberal. So that is happening now. Those are very recent uh, uses, research uses of astrological, or rather um, facial recognition software in physiognomy. So it's happening, you know, of course it is because the technology is there and the databases are there. Um, it's happening in physiognomy. It may also happen within astrological physiognomy. We'll see. So here's a question, why do it? Why would we actually want to research it? And some of you might think we shouldn't. Um, and some might think we absolutely should. It is very much up in the air. And as a Gemini sun, Libra moon, I'm of two minds about, about it myself. So the number one reason I would say, and others have said, uh, for doing this work is to get closer to actually knowing the planets and astrology. So this will help going back to that game of telephone, you know, potential pitfall circumstance we talked about. This can help to counteract that. Um, we can help to develop more potentially more accurate hypotheses that we can apply to research, but also outside of research and you know trying to prove astrology. This work can also just help us arrive at fuller, you know, more accurate understandings of the planets and thus astrology as a whole. Again, looping in the hermetic conversation about what is accurate when astrology itself is constantly changing. The archetypes are unpinnable. But we also know that we study astrology and there are ways of getting to know it better, just like a person. So when we do this work and we're not applying assumptions, because you know what happens when you assume then maybe we can get even closer to knowing it. Uh, and with that, I actually, that idea has led me to developing my new project that is still in the works called Rising Stars, where I look at uh, movie stars that have the same rising signs and how they often play the same character arcs, the same characters sometimes, but mostly the same arcs and my question is was this happenstance based on the fact that you know they all look alike and they all fit that type of character because of their appearance is it something else with the rising sign indicating one's dharma and how movies often reflect real life with the actors um I don't know I'm just going to share out the information that I find and then people can come up with their own uh, explanations. 
But here I have um, Virgo risings. They all look alike. They all have this kind of, I'm a Virgo rising too. Um, so we can often look kind of judgy, worried, resting, you know, RBF. Um, and uh, in film, this was fascinating to me. The three most, arguably the three most popular live action Beauty and the Beast films starred a Virgo rising as Belle. We have up at the top uh, from left to right, Emma Watson playing Belle in Disney's live action Beauty and the Beast with which we're all pretty familiar, um, at least the marketing of it. Um, and then in the middle top, we have Josette Day in the 1946 Jean Cocteau, uh, La Belle et la Bête. Highly recommend the movie. It is wonderful, um, but also Virgo Rising. And then we have Léa Cidot in the 2014 French adaptation, live action of Beauty and the Beast also a Virgo rising. So, you know, Belle's story is about that loss of innocence that Virgo rising has to often deal with um, and coming into relationship with the other um, eventually. And we see that as well with a couple other Virgo risings here, Olivia Newton-John and Julie Andrews, both in arguably their most famous roles, that of uh, Sandy in Greece and Maria in The Sound of Music pictured here, both undergo the same uh, starting point of pureness, non-relation, moving into that space of relation with others at the end. So this is so fascinating to me and I can't wait to share it with you once I've spent quite a bit more time with it, but um, wanted to just preview it here. And then here is actually the five point post that five point post that I've posted to my Instagram for Virgo Rising. And since I'm a Virgo Rising, I felt like it was okay for me to share it you know, perhaps a less than flattering um, post uh, because I make this face a lot. And, but I also wanted to show that it's one of the ways that you can tell a Virgo rising tell. Um, but this goes back into the question of, it did was Belle cast based on a facial feature like this? And where does that come from? The mindset of a Virgo. So, um, Lots of interesting things here, and I'm so excited to delve a bit, a bit deeper into it. Um, and I just am so thankful for the internet um, databases, be they astrological or facial, um, that helped me to do this because this work would not have been possible before before all of that. So, so excited to get into the Rising Stars project. Um, but beyond that, um, this is something that you may have thought of, which is that um, if we can help to, to figure out what people look like and how that correlates to natal placements, that can add potentially helpful information for chart rectification. Um, and just for those of you that don't know what chart rectification is, it's where an astrologer will attempt to help someone find their ascendant um, if they don't know their birth time, which is you know very common people, people's parents forgot their, their birth time, they never recorded it, they, you know, so many different reasons why someone might not have it. Um, they also might feel like this doesn't feel accurate. So people go into chart rectifications, um, seeking some clarity. And um, we would never want to just assume that someone is a Virgo rising because they have RBF, but it can be an additional data point for those astrologers who are attempting chart rectification and they're trying to use as much data as they can to get you know the accurate ascendant so 
um, that's a very practical use for for this kind of research, I think. And then finally, um, to a reason to do this is again to provide evidence for the validity of astrology, going way back to, you know, historically what astrological physiognomy's role has been. And so um, I am a huge fan of the writings of Max Weber, a sociologist who um, talked a, a lot about um, this idea of, there, of, of, of us being in a iron cage of hyper-rationalism and how, you know, that's not fun, but beyond that, it has serious negative implications. And so our disenchantment with the world that has been building ever since the enlightenment, you know, you know, non-linearly, but that's the trajectory. It has cost us things and it will continue to cost us things if we don't balance it out with, with some enchantment. So I'll, I, I want to include this quote from someone discussing Weber, um, where she says succinctly, um, in Weber's view, we have lost the magic of earlier ages. The world has become a disenchanted place and everyone lives mechanically and without wonder. Um, quite a statement, but that's the general, you know, worldview is very rational, very secular, very, you know, we go by, you know, um, the scientific method. Um, and our concern for material possessions and knowledge rather than rich inner lives has become what Weber refers to as an iron cage. And he laments that we'll be trapped in a drab capitalist world, I'm not gonna make this political, but uh, a drab capitalist world until we run out of fossil fuels and the whole system is forced to change. So uh, Weber, I think published the book in which he talks about the iron cage um, in like 1904. And so the fact that he was talking about running out of fossil fuels was prescient beyond belief. And that makes me want to listen to him even more about this idea of disenchantment. Um, and so going back to even the, the scarab beetle story and how Jung was able to chisel the ice of his patient's intellectual ration, rationalism, intellectual uh, resistance, pardon, um, with that scarab beetle synchronicity. Um, I think that we are all living into that ice of intellectual resistance, what Weber refers to as an iron cage. And we have to start chiseling at it. We have to bring in little cracks, I think, if we want to not run out of fossil fuels. Um, that, you know, there is a lot to say about this theory, but I think that there's, we might feel very precious about astrology in our community as is good because in the wrong hands, it, it, gets, um, it gets treated strangely. But I think that there is a benefit in making astrology more mainstream, in making it more known because it opens up the discussion of synchronicity. It opens up wonder, um, which we have, often we have we have largely lost i would argue i would i would agree with weber so that's one reason to do this kind of research um, from a good faith perspective um, and so this moment in time uh, i wanted to loop that in you know astrological transits that are happening right now 
And is there any reason to believe that this research might actually be done? Is there any any reason to believe that astrology will become more popular due to it or, you know, in parallel with it? But basically, um, I think yes. I think that Pluto and Aquarius is a fascinating transit that we're going back and forth. We're not in that right now, obviously, but we're going to be entering it, you know, full stop very soon once we can get out of Capricorn. But um, so I'm actually going to quote from Adam, uh, Adam Ellenboss's video, Three Reasons Pluto Entering Aquarius Has People Talking About Aliens. Um, great video, as all of his are. But um, he says, it was W.H. Auden who said, we are lived by powers we pretend to understand. Most cultures around the world had an active reverence for and much more conscious relationship with the powers that live us. Today, we don't live with as much of a consciously developed sense of those beings and powers. Astrology is one way, is one means by which we do. It wouldn't surprise me if in the next 20 years, Pluto and Aquarius brought about a much more rapid period of popularization for astrology. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have here um, the original definition of a cult, which is hidden from sight. And I actually, I didn't know that, which is, it almost feels intuitive once you see the, the root, a cult, like oculus. Um, it's like, of course, it is hidden from sight. And so astrology, the word occult has changed. The connotation is almost, it's dark. It can be negative. It can be um, you know, dangerous. And, um, what happens if we, if we bring astrology, which is known today as an occult practice into the light, we make it visible, we make it seen, we disrupt it being an occult practice by bringing it into the light. Can that help us move forward into this popularization of astrology if we want to do so? Um, I have an image here from the Jordan Peele movie, Nope, which I love, um, and it, it shows a UFO uh, hidden by a cloud. Um, it, it would purposely hide itself. And then it, it, over the course of the movie, it shows itself. And it's, it's, you know, it's a horror movie. And so it's not a, like, you know, a good thing necessarily. I think it's compl complicated, but um, it is this idea that the, going back to clouds, something might start to take shape and we might just start, we might just start to see something um, magical and, you know, a paradigmatic shift. So um, going back to at more of Adam's video, um, he says, this Pluto into, Aquari and into Aquarius could make us very aware of the fact that not everything that flows through our minds is ours and not every energy or impulse that we experience comes from our own volition. And that in and of itself would be like the recognition of a kind of alien other in our midst. And I have here Donald Sutherland uh, from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which another great movie that you have to see. But there's the basic premise is that like these aliens come and they like use us as hosts. We're the host for them. And they, they operate from inside of us. And um, so he's saying like, there's something inside us that we don't understand. And that's also a horror. <laughs> so I'm like including horror movies here, but it can be really scary, I think, for people to, to, to like look at their birth chart and be like, oh, I'm not in control fully. There's something else here. 
some people immediately just love that. But for others, that's very scary that they're not totally in control. And that I think is part of this, you know, part of going toward enchantment from disenchantment. It can be scary. It can be this, you know, I'm not in control. What is going on? Um, but we're hopefully moving in toward that slowly, integrating it slowly so that it's not totally horrific. But I think that that is part of what this astrological physiognomy can, can do. Um, and so the face can, I think, open us to things inside us that we never knew were there. If we look at our reflections closely enough and those of others, we can see things if we're looking closely enough and generously enough and, and deeply enough, we can see things inside of them that we didn't know were there, um, that we didn't know about ourselves. Um, it can tell us things if we pay attention to it in, 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 a, in the right way. Um, I have a quote here from a, a book called In Your Face, Physiognomy, Photography, and the Gnostic Mission of Early Film, which is just a fascinating title. Um, but the author, Tom Gunning, writes, it is the microphysionomics of the close-up in film uh, that, can, that have given us this subtle play of feature, almost imperceptible, yet also so convincing. The invisible face behind the visible has made its appearance. Fascinating. I am a huge film lover, as you can probably tell based on the references I've included in the presentation. Uh, but I have here uh, Anna Karina, a famous French New Wave actress who was known for being wildly expressive. And I mean, you can see it here, just, you know what's going on inside, it's coming to the surface. And suddenly we have this, this moment of connection because what's inside has come up to the surface. Um, and I think it can provide just, we all know how we feel when we watch this close-up in film and we see the expressions, the, the, the moving, the flowing of life inside of matter, uh, the moving picture. I mean, it is just so enriching and, and enlivening that I get excited about this work if, if done in a... Um, emotion-centered place rather than just impersonally looking looking for the right features. If we can look at the expressions, going back to that Virgo rising and bell connection, what is that connection between the expressions we have and the divine forces inside of us and how those might contribute to the stories that we play out in our lives? All of that interesting stuff, I think, might connect with this Pluto into Aquarius transit that we are about to really, really get into. And I have here a quote um, that says, the spirit is the source of expression. So the thing that is inside of us that we're talking about, this alien other is spirit, which is not actually alien, but it just does, we don't know it. We haven't been in relationship with it for, for quite some time, broadly speaking. And so getting to, to know it once again, perhaps via expression, going, you know, going back to the source of the expression and finding spirit, can be wildly enchanting. Um, and uh, so I just thought that this quote was so appropriate for what we're talking about here. Um, I wanted to close out with one more of my posts 
um, featuring the great Robin Williams and the miraculous Helen Keller, um, you can probably tell that they have strong water placements. And in fact, they have um, Cancer Sun, they each have Cancer Sun, uh, Pisces Moon and Scorpio rising. So they, it's all water, you can just tell. And um, we all, I think, felt something when, when Robin Williams passed, even though we didn't know him, we knew though the expressions that he had on his face and his films and how that loving water nature came forth through them. We got to feel that water energy through his expressions, through him showing up, through him showing his face. Um, and of course, Helen Keller is known for working with water and um, there's just so much richness here where we don't have to look exclusively at, you know, their lives and the things that happened and how that corresponds to water. And, but we also, you know, we can loop in their faces. We can loop in how they literally sh showed up in the world and what impact that had on the people that saw them and how appearance can tie to character and how that spirit shows up in our, you know, little, our flesh suits, our bodies, um, that marriage of, of matter and spirit. All right, and then I will actually, this is my last, my last thing. I wanna close out with a final quote from Russ Funnelhausen, who says um, in his Zodiac Faces project, um, that we are the physical manifestation of subtle points of the material conscious world brought forth through human form. This materialization of consciousness in people's faces and bodies can be observed and classified both a momentary expression in the transits, you know, when some transit um, causes, causes you to have one expression in the moment, even though it's not your typical, it does have an impact, um, and by the identifying traits natal. The external appearance reveals your inner self just as your external self is your personal revelation to the external cosmos. Going back to the age old, as within, so without. Thank you very much for your time. Um...